Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know we were trying out new microphones this episode and we don't quite have the hang of it. We also, um, this was our first long distance interview uh, episode, so some of the quality of the audio might be a little janky. Um, bear with us while we try to figure it out. Regardless, this was an amazing episode and we got to find out so much information. I hope you guys enjoy. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right, everyone. Welcome to Mental Mamas. This is Riley and Jaden. I'm not sure if you picked up, it picked it up earlier, but we do have a second guest on the show um it's the first adult we've had on the show um (laughs) okay yeah good point good point um so we've got my mom recently promoted to grandma christy on the show for this first show we're going to talk about adoption i'm not sure if you picked it up earlier in previous episodes but i am adopted so christy my mom is my adoptive mom and we're just going to go through mental health issues and things that maybe aren't thought about a lot with adoption and parenting and parenting Um, as an adoptive parent yeah yeah um so we've got expert here mom if you want to say hi hello everyone (laughs) All right. So to start out with, um, my mom is one of our biggest fans. So she already knows we always start with a Goober Award. So for this episode, we're going to ask our guest star to tell us her Goober Award of the week, month. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just go with the the most recent. How about today? (laughs) Well, I thought that I would be a wonderful wife and get up early at 2 a.m. and make my husband breakfast before he went to work. So, you know, it sounded good to me. And I got up and I got my waffle batter mixed and everything all ready to go. And I put the waffle batter in the, in the cooker and I waited and I waited and I waited and it works better if you plug it in. Oh my goodness. <laughs> a two in the morning mistake right there. Yeah, definitely a 2 a.m. Goober award. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one for sure. <laughs> totally forgot. <laughs> but I did. I did figure it out, and we did have waffles at two a.m. So we were all right. What a tasty two a.m. breakfast! I feel like that's more of a midnight snack. <laughs> <laughs> that would work. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Your house at two a.m. <laughs> <laughs> it's for sure for dad i suppose with him going to work so early but right today really early there all right so we can go right into the questions here um so let's go ahead and just start with a basic question um what kind of let's see what are some common misconceptions or insensitive things that people have said regarding adoption? 
you know, most people are very supportive, but I think if they haven't gone through the process, they just really don't know what you go through. And um, it was surprising. There were a few comments made like, be careful. You never know what you're going to get. Um, well, that's pretty much true if you're having your own baby, too. Uh, you never know what you're going to get. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, and there, although everybody uh, really, we had a really good support group, um, once in a while, they just didn't understand. Well, just keep trying. You'll have your own. Wouldn't you rather have your own babies instead of adopting babies? Well, if we could have had our own babies, we probably would have. <laughs> it just wasn't an option for us. So we knew adoption was the way for us to go. Yeah. So what kind of made you, like, did you ever second guess your decision to adopt? No. Honestly, no. Um, adoption is not an easy route but we knew from the time we got married that we wanted a family however that may be um my husband's sister is adopted so we always knew that that was an option to making families and we were not opposed to that so the idea was we wanted a family and we were going to do whatever it took <laughs> So we never regretted it, not one bit, even with the highs and the lows. Do you think that um, some of the difficulty, like on from an outside standpoint um, of people looking in on the adoption process, do you think that they kind of brushed over the difficulty of adoption because of how the media portrays it? Oh, definitely. I don't think people really know how difficult the process it is. They think you just walk in and say, hi, we'd like a child today, please. And oh, here they are. They're all lined up. Just pick one. That's not really how it works. It's really quite a long and arduous process. There's a lot of things you have to do before you actually get to that point of becoming a parent. So I just think people just are unaware of how long it takes for you like how how did you start the process for I don't know maybe we'll have a listener someday who is just like starting the adoption process how did you decide I think we went through Lutheran ser adoption services or something right both you and your brother were adopted through Lutheran social services um we first we had to prove one year of infertility so you had to wait wow. at least one year of trying to attempt to have your own child before you could even apply really then, yeah yeah and then you um we went to sign up for the adoption um course and it took one more year from the date of signing up until the adoption course came around they this was quite some time ago because riley you're, you're an adult now and so it's been quite a while since you were a little one but um they only did adoption classes or 
uh, programs once a year. So if you, if you missed it, you had to wait a year or more. Especially when you think of things like Roe v. Wade and everything, like everybody who is against abortion usually point is like, well, there's always adoption. Um, like you can always put your kid up for adoption, but it seems like it's a really difficult process for adoptive parents to even go through adoption. It almost makes me wonder if, um, because you said you had to prove one year of infertility, does that mean like in, and I, I'm sure things have changed, but like now, or even at that time, you know, 20 some years ago, um, would you have been able to adopt had you just decided you didn't want to have your own kids you wanted to adopt? I have to say, I don't know because that um, wasn't, that wasn't our plan. Right. But I do know that when we first contacted um, Lutheran Social Services, they said, you have to uh, have a doctor's notification that you've been trying for at least one year. And for us, um, we'd tried for several years before that. So, yeah, it was it was um, just kind of one of their requirements. So, okay. And then I have one more question. <laughs> I just this had, has been sitting in my brain since we talked about this episode. Um, but like, orphanages are they like an actual thing, or is that just like the whole foster care system? Is like an orphanage like a media thing? I do believe they do exist. Um, I think those are more predominant in the larger cities. Most okay. of the children in this area that we come from are in foster care. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just picturing Annie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I've never, I, I even, when we first talked about doing an adoption episode, I even uh, Googled orphanages in Sioux Falls or in South Dakota and literally nothing came up and I was like am I yeah. just I think in our area yeah the, the children are in foster homes before they're adopted yeah <laughs> yeah that makes sense and that's something else that people don't realize um not only did we have to wait to sign up for the adoptive class but we had to become licensed foster parents before we could file for adoption. Really? Yes. You must be certified by the state as a foster parent because the way the adoption system works is a um, child comes into the system and the, the birth parents have to sign away their rights. So for six months, that child must remain in foster care and for them to be placed in my home, I had to be a foster care mother. And then I had I, I would have to wait six months before I could file for adoption. So I, I couldn't just bring a child into my home and say, okay, we're going to adopt it. No, I had to wait six months and be approved and have home visits. And, and yeah, so. Um, a whole series just to start the adoption process you had waited another six months that's crazy yeah yeah and the child you know obviously they come to our home as a foster child and they become bonded with us but there's no guarantee that that child is actually going to be able to be adopted Adopt by us 
Um, Because a lot of things can happen, a lot of things can change, and a lot of children in the foster care system um, aren't adopted within that six months. It could be longer than that. So then is there like a, um, as a foster parent, is there a time limit? Like you, the child stays with you for this amount of time before they have to move on to the next foster home? Or can they just stay with you for however long until they're adopted or until you decide to adopt them? In our case, we always knew whatever child came to us, that was the child we were going to apply for adoption. It didn't matter. Um, I suppose every adoptive family is different because every child comes with their own situation um, regarding birth families and health history and so it's really up to the adoptive families if they're ready to adopt a child. But we always knew it didn't matter to us. We would we wanted whoever came through our door, that was going to be our child. <laughs> I like that. That's very sweet. <laughs> um, that kind of goes a little bit into one question that I have that might be a, a little bit uh, more sensitive. I know just because I'm your daughter, I know that at one point you had a little boy and he ended up having to go back to his um, birth mom around the six month time frame. Um, And I don't think that's something that anybody really realizes. And I'm, I'm sure it's just as painful as maybe like a miscarriage or something because that baby was yours for that six months. So no. if you want to option. Yeah, and see the way that particular situ- situation came about is the birth mother chose us. She said she wanted us to be the adoptive family. So we we waited months for that baby to be born. And we were there the day that he w- arrived and everything and went through that whole hospital um, you know, experience and all of our families came in and joined in with us, just like you would if you were having your own child. Um, and then we brought the baby home from the hospital and within that first 12 days, the adoptive mother needed to go to court to relinquish her rights to that child. So they could, could begin that six month waiting period Mm -hmm. and changed her mind. So on that 12th day, she couldn't do it. So they, yeah, they came and took him back. So he was mine (laughs) for almost two weeks. And then we had to let him go. So it was tough. That was hard. I can't imagine how hard that is. I think I don't. So I didn't know that that was a thing. I thought once you put your child up for adoption in that instance where like you've chosen adoptive family and stuff, I thought that it was like all right there in the hospital once that baby is born, you know, and that's, I mean, I think that's mostly because that's how our media portrays it. Exactly. That's kind of way they, you know, movies portray it. You know, that's the way you see it. But, no, there's a lot of legal aspects to adoption, and there's certain time frames that you have to be allowed 
for the birth mother, birth father, birth families to change their mind or intervene. Um, so there's a lot of waiting periods and that's, that's very difficult uh, for, for the, you know, for us as we were waiting, we understand that it's kind of bittersweet because as we're waiting for that joyful moment for a child to be placed with us, we also understand someone is going through a very difficult decision. Yeah, they so, almost went through like a grief process of relinquishing that child. Absolutely. Um, and I Ab mean, obviously, you guys have to go through the same thing, having had that child removed from your care and taken back by their biological parent. I, you know, and people used to, well, when, when they found out our situation and we had, um, the first child had been returned to his birth mother, you know, they say, oh, it's just like a death of a child. And I kind of said, no, no, for me, it was more like he was kidnapped. And that sounds harsh, but it was like, I knew he was alive and well, but I didn't know where he was. I didn't know if he was being cared for, I, I hoped that he was going to have a good life and good care and good parents. And, but I knew he was out there. And yeah. so for, for months, I think part of my grieving process was if I went to the grocery store, I looked at every newborn baby. Is that him? Is that him? Um, and you know, you kind of watch for him or her, whatever the case may be. So it's kind of kind of like to me, and that's my personal experience. Maybe not everybody feels that way, but I kind of felt like somebody had just taken him. I can definitely understand that feeling. I think, I mean, as a mom, I think I would do this. I would feel the same way, whether it was, you know, in your situation or vice versa. Right. Yeah, that's and absolutely I, heartbreaking. You know, just to think of as a mom to even Archer, I can't imagine him going away after 12 days, like just, you're just starting to bond with the baby. And yeah. yeah. Like my relationship with Elowen, even now, like I, I think back to that time when she was that little and I couldn't even stand to be out of the same room as her. So I can't imagine, you know, Right, right. Having it completely removed. And yes, I, I did understand in a way just, you know, not to be um, all about myself. I also understood that that biological mother was making very difficult choices and her pain was very real. And the struggle that she was going through was enormous. And so... Yeah. All I could do was try to find grace for her and her situation and just, you know, try to try to give up that I understand her pain. I have pain, but so does she. So that's all you can do is, is just find the best, uh, you know, with the situation. It's also really ironic that we said kidnapping because as as you know um for for the listeners out there 
our, my parents chose an open adoption and we can go a little bit more into that. But what that is, is that just means that um, the biological parents will like the children know that they are adopted and they know who their biological parents are. And those biological parents are welcome to reach out to the children. So my biological mom was always a big part of my life. Um, but in, uh, in the irony of my mom, my adoptive mom, Christy here saying that it felt like her first, if you don't mind me calling it that her, um, the, her first foster child I guess or adoptive child being taken away felt like it being kidnapped from um, her it's kind of ironic that because of my biological mother always said that she had a fear of her children being kidnapped from her too so I think there's just such a I don't know I, I think it's ironic it's probably more of a coincidence every every mom probably fears their kid being kidnapped from them and you just actually I mean you didn't have it happen but I mean in some right. ways you did no I think it just goes to show that all mothers have the same fears and worries whether you're a doctor or biological so we're more alike than we realize regardless of if you share blood or not I mean, your family and your children are, you know, the people that you choose to be in your life and the people you choose to shower with that love. Exactly. And we made that promise to our adoptive families um, that we would allow them to continue to be in the life of our children. And to us, they became extended family. Um, wouldn't you say, Riley, that it was just more relatives <laughs> you know when we had holidays and birthdays you just had more people yeah exactly it was and it's still that way like when i planned my baby shower it was just we had three families to invite mine masons and then like so my adoptive family masons and then my biological family we had three families to invite versus the typical two which would be mine and mason's to invite right well and you always made off pretty good when it was your birthday because you had about four <laughs> celebrations so <laughs> i mean me too <laughs> um, let's see so that's kind of a good transition here um do you think there were any ways where having adoptive children was different than having biological children? Or, and was there any like mental health aspects that you suffered from because of it? That's an excellent question. And I've been thinking about that. And I really think parenthood in general is a roller coaster because you go from the high highs to the low lows and you have the same anxieties and worries and concerns 
Um, whether you're adoptive or biological, I'm assuming the, it's pretty much the same feelings. Yeah, uh, for sure. you know. But I think, I think, yeah, that that fear for an adoptive family, that predominant fear is, first of all, we don't want to screw this up, <laughs> screw up the child. And the other fear is, I hope they don't take it away from us. So it's always kind of that fear that somebody's going to say, you're not doing it right. You're no longer a parent. So, you know, I don't know if you feel that way as an adopt or as a birth mom. You know, do you have that fear that somebody's just going to come and say, you're not a good mom. I'm taking that child. I know for me, that's one of my biggest fears is like, someone's going to think that I'm doing something wrong. Um, Elwyn, for example, is a very clumsy child. She's always got bruises on her knees and on her legs. And like, she's right now, she's got a bruise on the, on her lower back. And like, I have no idea what it's from. She probably fell and hit something. But like, my biggest fear is that someone's going to see that and be like, oh, you're hurting your child and you're not parenting correctly. Right. Like I constantly, that is a constant fear for me is that someone is going to decide that I'm not being a good enough parent and that I shouldn't have my kids. Right. So, uh, yeah, it, it just, you know, pretty much we all have the same fears and anxieties, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, did you, so if you wanted to go over any, um, let's see. I did have a question in regards to mental health. Um, during the application process of actually applying to become a foster parent and adopted and going through adoption, did they have to evaluate you and your you and dad's mental health at all? Or because yes, I'm yes, that's an excellent question. Yes, they did. Um, not only did they get our full medical reports from our doctors, we had to have three letters of reference from individuals. Um, we were fortunate enough to have two uh, counselors that knew us well enough to write letters and then one very dear friend that wrote us a letter, but we had to have letters of competency um, and so, yes, they do do mental health evaluation to make sure that there isn't something they're missing before they place a child in your home, um, as well as we had to go down to the courthouse and have our fingerprints taken and, you know, have our records run through the FBI file and... Um, they wanted all our financial records. They wanted all of our, uh, anything about us, our family histories, everything. There, you are an open book. There, there's, there's nothing that they don't want. <laughs> but yes, as far as the mental health issues, yes. They, they have to have a doctor sign off to make sure that you're competent. So when you say like your family history, did they want like your whole family tree or like, I just, I'm trying to like the fingerprints. I understand the, um, having your record run, you know, through the FBI, I understand 
I kind of understand the medical records. I mean, for the mental health aspect, and I guess your current physical health or past physical health, I understand. But your family history, like, yep, yep. Um, you know, I guess they're concerned with how you were raised, um, what your parents were like, what your, how many siblings you had, what it was like in your family. Um, they they look at everything, everything. There are no there are no secrets or anything. So um, if you have something in your family history, um, it's it's definitely looked at. It doesn't mean you can't adopt. It okay. just means that um, they're gonna know it, <laughs> whatever that may be. Okay, I was thinking that they were using that as like a way to decide. And it's it's one of those things where I'm a firm believer of just because you were raised a certain way or just because the people in your family are a certain way doesn't mean you are. And so I was thinking they were using that as a way to be like, oh, this person has uh, someone who is, um, or like a grandparent that was abusive. So right. therefore right. they shouldn't have this child. You know what I mean? Right. No, it, it, it is not as bearing as the, in, you know, the immediate mother, father that are adopting. But they do want to know if you were raised by an abusive or alcoholic or what your family tree is, um, is important. Because as we all know, a lot of times, many things do go from one generation to the next. And, you know, we hope we can break those cycles, but it doesn't always go that way. It doesn't always happen. So in those instances, I think they provide a lot more supportive care and counseling and, you know, making sure that the child is going to be in a safe environment. They're not around a toxic person because whether you're adoptive or biological it doesn't matter. You want your children to be around the healthiest individuals. You know, you don't want toxic people in their lives, regardless. So it's, it's, it's a very intense process. And I'm, I'm sure um, there's a lot to the biological mother, father question that they went through a, a thorough screening as well okay. and i'm sarah can you know enlighten us more on that i don't want to speak for her but I, I bet it wasn't easy for her either to kind of if you will just open your lives up for everyone to see and there's so much research now like talking about how um things that happen in your your like your parents' childhood can transfer to you as well as you know what you went through if you were an adopted person um before you were adopted i'm sure they want to know that so that they can give the adopting family the best i mean for lack of better words fighting chance right, right. well i think it comes down to that nature versus nurture mm -hmm you know, how much of it is in our environment or how much of it is hereditary. And I think all of it comes into play at some point. For sure. 
So, so for anyone, whether you're adopted or not. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's so weird that um, the adoption, like I just, I think it's odd for the adoption process and you can let me know if you agree that, that it's so um, prestigious really to adopt a child. I guess I get what you were saying before that the biological parents, if they're putting their children up for adoption, they want them to get the best parent. If it's not going to be you, then yeah, I, I get that they would want them to have the best parent. But I, on the other hand, there's so many children out there that I feel like, um, so for me, I'm a part of an adoption group on Facebook, and it's just a bunch of parents who are um, looking at adopting and everything. And there's some people that I've seen that have been denied um, an adoption to go through adoption because they have depression, for example. And I think that's such a crazy thing, first of all, because I do think that everybody in the world goes through a bout of depression at some point in their lives. But also because uh, like those life experiences, including alcoholism, I think those life experiences <laughs> kind of shape you to uh, shape you how to be a parent in the future. Like you're not going to make the same mistakes that you're if you had an alcoholic father or mother, for example, I don't think you'll make those same mistakes. So I don't know. I just think it's really prestigious. Do you think? Do you think that the adoption process is a little prestigious in the world with all of these foster children and everything? Well, you know, I, I guess I would say that they're trying to err on the side of caution. Um, make sure that the child is actually placed in a safe and loving environment and home. But it is, um, yeah, uh, you know, if, if you suffer from depression and are denied adoption because of that, um, that's really unfortunate because mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, with, as you know, with depression, you can, you can still have a family you can you could still function if you know if you follow your doctor's recommendations all of those things it doesn't need to define you but right. unfortunately it it i guess that's the downfall of the system they have to draw the line somewhere mm -hmm. and it seems like they don't leave any room for human error <laughs> You know what I mean? Like they don't, almost as if they expect you to, from the sounds of it, from my point of view, almost as if they expect you to be this like nonstop perfect robot. With the mental health aspect, that's yeah. where I see that. But like, I, I totally get like the financial things and things like that, especially I guess from the side of a biological parent who would, if you're putting up your child for adoption, then you do want what's best for them. Or even if they're in the hands of the state, like if they skipped over the that they want what's best for the child. I definitely see that. But 
yeah, I I can't imagine being denied having a child because you experienced oppression. And I think um, from our PCOS episode, uh, depression and infertility kind of go hand in hand. I don't absolutely, know. If you- absolutely. And um, I don't know if Riley has mentioned it, but that was part of my infertility was PCOS. And you're absolutely right. Um, You know, as a young person, I suffered with depression and anxiety and all kinds of mental health issues as well. Some of them hormonal and then some of them just, you know, life in general. But so, yeah, I, I worried for we were older, too. That's the other thing is we had to have we had to be under the age of 35 and we were we were close to 30 but when we started the process but by the time we finished Riley you were you were adopted literally on my 33rd birthday mm-hmm. and i was afraid we wouldn't we would age out that we wouldn't be allowed because we had re- reached that age limit right. so, so- was adopting your second child easier because you'd already gone through the adoption process once or did you have to re-go through the entire process? We did not have to um, go through the the class or the licensing a second time um, uh, because we continued to, to maintain our uh, foster parent status even after we adopted Riley, who's our oldest. Um, but as far as the adoption for our son, our second son, it, it was totally different, um, different birth mother, birth situation. Um, so every adoption is very unique. Okay. Uh, but we didn't have to start from ground zero where we had to go back to waiting a year before we could get into a class and so we did kind of get fast tracked a little bit because we already had that status of being foster parents. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um I actually do have a question if you're comfortable with uh answering it. I know we talked about before you had told me that with legal fees and the adoption consultations and the registration for all of the classes it was like not to put a price on it but it was around like 20 grand each adoption is that is that like am i recalling that conversation correctly <laughs> yeah that is that is correct that is um and this, this was 25 years ago so i'm sure in today's you know rate it's it's probably even much higher and with the adoption that our first adoption that unfortunately we had to return that child we did not get a refund (laughs) Um, there's no guarantees there's no money back so you have to know that there is a as much as you hate to admit it there is a financial aspect to adoption And I think that's another reason why not a lot of people can afford to do it. Yeah. 
I mean, oh. 20 grand is a lot. Is that something that you guys had to take out in a personal loan or? Um, at that point, we were very, very blessed. We had both been working full-time careers. So we were able to put a good share of that away. So, um, but, you know, like I said, when it's gone, it's gone. And we, we don't regret it. You don't look at it as money. The money doesn't matter. Um, you know, but, but it is a consideration when you're adopting. Yeah. Is there any sort of like financial aid aside from personal loans or anything for adoption? Or is that like a, you have to be able to pay this fee almost the same way that you have to prove your financials? For us, there was not. And I don't know if other um, people with different situations are offered, you know, financial assistance at all or not. For us, it wasn't an option. It was out of pocket, basically, for us. Yeah, and, that's... And it's, you know, the, the money went for... It didn't go for the birth mother or birth father to them directly. It went mm -hmm. for legal fees and lawyers and all yeah. of those things. And hospital bills and... <laughs> So I know not with my biological mom, but with like another other biological parents, they kind of thought that the money was going to go to them and exactly. that's child trafficking. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> no, we didn't, we didn't buy children. We, yeah. we paid for the process. That's it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the end of my questions. Did you have any other questions, Jaden? Or no, I just kind of had questions that I knew would pop up in, on the fly. Yeah. Um, I just, it's just so, I'm so steeped in the media view of adoption that hearing what it's actually like is just astounding to me. So yeah. I really appreciate you sharing your um your view, your side of the story. I don't know how to. <laughs> well, thank you for having me because, you know, um, this wasn't something that people really talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, all of this was kind of done. I don't want to say hush hush, but we didn't have back in the day. We didn't have the Internet. We didn't have podcasts. And so I'm, I'm really proud of you gals for bringing these subjects to the light. And, you know, letting it be known and people to talk about it. And, you know, I don't mean to say that adoption is all difficult because there's a lot of joy that comes with it, too. Um, I wouldn't have changed a thing, even with all the highs and the lows. It, I can't imagine my life being any different. Um, so... I just appreciate that you guys would have me here and let me talk and share my experience. And so I enjoy hearing about your, your motherhood and how it's going. So keep up the great work, girls. Whether you're a biological parent or an adopted parent, there's going to be good things and bad things. Um, Absolutely. So adoption is definitely one of those topics where it's I mean I feel like it's just like parenting style 
when you talk about it, it's, it seems like there's all this bad and all this hardship and it's really, you have to take a moment to think about, you know, you got to raise this child that you were given the opportunity to love and you got to watch them grow up to be this amazing human being, just like you would as a biological parent. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely correct. So, Riley, did you, just out of curiosity, did you, was there anything that you hadn't heard about before that we talked about? I don't know too much about the application process. Um, it was honestly a, all good information. And I kind of thought there might be more like m misconceptions or insensitive things that people may have said. I know for me as an adoptive child, maybe I just take everything personally, but I've always been frustrated if somebody says your real parents, because I'm like, which, who are you talking about? Are you talking about <laughs> the person who gave birth to me? Or are you talking about the person who got the task of raising me. <laughs> right. I think that was one of the things we tried really hard to, to do was um, make sure that you always knew it was never a secret. It was never, it was never a big deal. You know, I, I didn't introduce you as my adopted daughter. You were my daughter. Um, so, but we never, we never hid the fact that you were adopted from your you as a child. I remember creating stories and reading them to you at night, you know, about adoption and who you looked like and your birth mama, Sarah. And, you know, <laughs> so it was, I think it's really important for the adoptive children for it to be open, to be. I completely uh, agree. I never really. I think one of the big thing with adoptive children is they feel like a sense of not belonging. And for me, I always, I don't know, I was, it, nothing was different for me. And when I viewed other families, it nothing was really different for me other than I knew that I had a biological mom uh, and like biological family, sisters, etc., um, nothing was really any different from me when I viewed it in comparison to other people, but I knew that it existed. And I think the reason for that was because everything was so open. I never had a, like a identity crisis that some, unfortunately, some adoptive kids could have had. Right. Absolutely. You know, obviously this first part, do a part with Sarah and then do a part with you as an adopted child. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know that my that mom is curious to see my side of the story, but I don't know that I really have it. Like I said, everything was normal you for me. Like normal yeah, completely normal. <laughs> I do um, remember when you came home, I think you must have been maybe middle school, but um, you had gotten questioned at school about being adopted and and you were kind of like, isn't everybody or isn't, isn't that normal? Or, you know, you, you just really didn't know that that was different. Yeah, it definitely didn't feel any different to me. 
at all. I was, I mean, obviously my brother was adopted. <laughs> so like. So the neighbor people in your life that you knew. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, it was. I guess that's a pretty good nod to your um, parenting skills. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take that. <laughs> All right. Well, if you don't have any other questions for me, I don't know, Mom, if you have any other questions for me. Um, otherwise, we can let you go and enjoy your. It's currently night when we're recording this, um, so we can let you enjoy your Valentine's Day evening. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day! Happy Valentine's Day to you, and thank you again for letting me share the moment with you. You guys have a great night. You too. Love you, mom. Love you too. Bye. Bye bye. If you wanted to reach out to Mental Mamas, you can reach out to us at r and j m m p at gmail dot com. Mental Mamas underscore podcast on Instagram, and I also think on Twitter. I think it's the same. And we are also on Facebook as just Mental Mamas. You should be able to find us pretty quick or Mental Mamas podcast. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys, any feedback, any thing you're interested in hearing us talk about, we would be interested in hearing. Thank you. All right. And there's also children who were in the 1850s-ish era, there were children in New York who were found parentless, but they usually were found abandoned. Like, and these were infants that were found abandoned by the police and they were found dead if they were abandoned. That's usually like orphans. So were they like, did they die? Did I don't know if this is in your research, but did they die like from exposure or was it like, stillbirth or was it just like um hungry they were like they starved to death yeah okay yeah and this was usually infants like, i was gonna say like, like the weird thing about it um the abandoned dead infants were provided religions and names by the state just randomly and when i say religions it was all like christianity because okay. that was kind of the big one default one for yeah. americans um and but they were provided like a catholic funeral and or a protestant funeral at the expense of the state at the expense of the state and they were provided names but it, it's kind of sad um they were provided names based off of where they were found so, like, if they were found on underneath a cherry tree on a hill, they could have the name could have been Cherry Hill. So, like, that's what they would be found as in the like state records at a library. It's really, really weird. And like, if a boy was found in an alley, his name could be Cherry Alley, or sorry, Charlie Alley. Um, that I, is weird, and also kind of messed up like you couldn't come up with it gets better 
Oh, fantastic. <laughs> you I... would love this fact, though, actually. Um, infants that were found from, like, a murder scene, because apparently that was a common occurrence. <laughs> like, they were murdered? Or, like... I think it would... And this is more, like, for poor families, um, or, like, immigrants. So they were, like, part of a hate crime, probably, but not called hate crime during that time right um they their parent the infants who were found from that murder scene were named after the perpetrator so like the murderer what so like <laughs> why wouldn't you just name them after their parents they were murdered yeah like doesn't somebody know the murderer like the victim's name to like but okay, all right, all right, I guess. Um, so a lot of these, they, I mean, this Charles guy, Charles Loring Brace, he had a good idea with the orphan train because the other infant, I don't know, orphan train just makes me think of like the Holocaust. Like, okay, you know how, I don't remember what they were called, but how they put yeah. them all on the trains Concentration and camps, yeah. Yeah, that's what that makes me think of. Absolutely, completely agree. Like, the orphan right. train is not a good place <laughs> Yeah, to be. Because, I mean, they didn't care if, in, if children were dying. They were orphans. Nobody Right, there was no one them. there to care about that. Kind them. of a thing. Um, Which is really messed up. <laughs> yeah, so... Then there was, I don't know the right term for them. I think it was like a juvenile asylum. That's what it was called is a juvenile asylum. And I mean, I, back in that time, pretty much everything was an asylum. So yeah, yeah. Which reminds me that some some babies were just sent like if they're if uh, if their parents were sent to insane asylums, the babies were too. The, the children just were too. Yep. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I guess they're not separated, but I thought the whole point of getting like a parent to a mental what? asylum would be so that they can get better and parent their child, and like the child doesn't have to be exposed to it. But moving on, I mean, <laughs> realistically, the majority of asylum patients were women. Yes. And back then, from men, postpartum depression, yeah, men didn't really know how to take care of kids at that point. So basically, if you were a woman or child, you were in an asylum. Oh, just creepy. Ugh. Um, But there were then there's this island called Randall Island, where um parentless infants would go to you want to know what the mortality rate was a hundred percent yep of yeah. randall island yeah and there was other i believe that <laughs> so it's like i don't know and then there there's other juvenile um asylums that weren't this randall island that i do not know what happened there for it to be a 100 percent mortality rate um they were probably killing the children because crazy people run the crazy places <laughs> yes exactly you're right the, good job the people are, good job a plus in this history lesson if i have learned anything from history um also juvenile the ju other juvenile asylums that had a 50 percent mortality rate the average for juvenile asylums um had a 50 percent mortality rate which is still like 
50 percent more than one in two kids yeah so every two kids there was one so dead. like between you and i who would have died um me yeah absolutely <laughs> I, I agree i was gonna say you but i didn't want to say it out loud and i didn't want to be the one who was like wow you're not a real friend but honestly to be fair in any i think i talked about this in a previous episode in any apocalypse it might be my mental illness talking but if it gets much worse i just want to be put down <laughs> just take me out back like any zombie apocalypse i don't want it too scary <laughs> Turn it off. <laughs> Too scary. You can just turn it off, Riley. <laughs> um, you can. I mean, you it's can. just a little dark. <laughs> uh, um, but so in this juvenile asylums, they were cared for by prisoners. So I would like to know <laughs> who thought that was a good idea because obviously the guy who named the island Randall Island. Only why? Why are islands? for children like first of all okay okay why are only men dealing with the orphans is the real question yes. here yeah because he came up with the orphan trade also, he you was know what like this makes me think of hmm. you know in pinocchio the naughty kid island what is it called i don't remember what it's called but it's like all boys there okay and like no one escapes the island are you talking about peter pan no, in Pinocchio, because he goes because he wants to be I a real boy. I honestly haven't watched it in a while, so. Okay, well, he goes to this island because he wants to be a real boy, but it's like the naughty boy island. I don't know what it's called. And uh, they're all like drinking and smoking and doing. What? Yeah. Pinocchio is is wild, my guy. <laughs> it is wild. I honestly only remember. But the then he gets turned into a dad. Like the, who the kids get turned into a donkey. Just wanted a real boy. Yeah, no, the kids get turned into donkeys on this island. Interesting. Like jackass. I mean, all I do not know. The creators of Disney stories are really weird. They were like, <laughs> how can we make this? child appropriate and it's usually a story about cannibals <laughs> <laughs> pinocchio is wild and rape and what else was there? like eight-year-old children Pan. drinking and smoking yeah and cutting off toes to fit in glass slippers oh man anyways that's what made what randall island made me think of immediately okay like just shipping all the children off there and they're just like Basically, I mean, if, if I think prisoners that was the are, idea of Peter Pan, too. So that's why I'm kind of Peter Pan. Um, I thought Peter Pan. He I thought he took children that weren't wanted. And brought them to an island. <laughs> Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong on my Peter Pan, like what the story actually was. I'm going to do research. But tonight. they took, yeah, they took them. And you can add it to the end of the recording, what yeah, the Peter Pan actual story was. Because I think they were, t they took children that were from orphans. So like they didn't, weren't wanted. Well, Wendy and her siblings weren't orphans. Yes, because Disney was trying to make it positive. <laughs> oh. But Peter Pan himself was an orphan and had, okay. was kind of screwed up. Um, Anyways, that's what that makes us think of. <laughs> which kind of is like, yeah, it makes sense based off of this story. Yeah. Um, but all of this makes it seem like they didn't care about babies. Oh, and I like think how they do now? This... Is a very good segue 
into abortion. Yes. Because we care. My time has come. <laughs> we obviously care about all, all you pro-life kids. That you obviously care about babies, right? Right, until right? they're born. Right? Yeah, until and care born. about foster care, right? Right, right, right. And right. <laughs> And you don't you don't care at all about the woman's body, right? I mean, if you were because pro it's life, not her body, yeah, exactly. Right. If you were pro life, you would care about the woman's body and the child afterwards. Yep, but but they, they don't. We just so. care about controlling a woman's body. That's, yeah, we, that's all we, care we care about, about. Um, reproduct controlling reproductive. Health. Anyways, okay, so history, quick brief history on abortion. Abortion is a practice to um, deliberately terminate pregnancy, which I'm sure you guys knew. It has been known since ancient times. Various methods have been used to perform, to perform or attempt abortion, including administration of anti or uh, basically abortion herbs. I, it's a big word. I'm not going to read it. Um, <laughs> the use of sharpened implements, the application of abdominal pressure and other techniques. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of scary <laughs> techniques, but in reality, if it's um, before the limit, the legal limit, it's usually actually a pill. Um, you take a pill. Yeah, you take and a pill and your body just kind of clears out. Yeah. Um, but the in first one way reported <laughs> evidence of induced abortion is from the Egyptian herbis papyrus in 1550 BCE. Mm -hmm. Abortion's been around the whole time. It's whether or not making, so Roe v. Wade, that decision, it's not going to stop abortion. It won't. It's just going to stop safe abortion. Yeah. It's going to For poor increase. Communities. Also, it's going to increase our maternal mortality rate, which is already the highest in the world. It is. Yeah, it the absolutely United is. The United States maternal mortality rate is incredibly high. We don't care about, in America here, we don't care about women's bodies. We care about controlling them. Yeah. Yep. And then that actually leads into how adoption actually started if i can yeah. go ahead and start here absolutely this girl named georgia georgia tan um she started adoption she has a pretty okay origin story for her um her dad was a judge he was like a family judge so he ended up deciding where children would go when they were orphans Okay. Makes sense. So he was the guy putting the orphans on the orphan train and sending them to slave camps. Cool. <laughs> Tell um, me I'm but wrong. he actually was, I don't know where they started, but she was kicked. This lady, she actually is gay, which is cool. She wanted to be a lawyer. We love cool. the LGBTQ plus community. But she did so much crap that she was kicked out of Texas in another state. Just kicked out of Texas. Okay, what did she do to get t kicked out of Texas? <sighs> All right, so it gets dark here, folks. <laughs> um, trigger warning, this whole episode is dark things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we usually talk about dark things. Yeah. So, like, the whole podcast is... Anyways. <laughs> um, Mental health is pretty So, dark. she usually just went ahead 
and decided she was God and kidnapped children. She was like, you're in a poor community and I know this rich, these rich folks who can give this baby a better chance. And it wasn't just any babies too. It wasn't just any poor baby. It had to be a pretty baby. Of course it had to be a pretty baby <laughs> because, um, you know, beauty standards in the United States are, well, I mean, in the world are astronomically high. And she was part of like a social services, but she made money off of this. She had the checks made out to her. She would personally drop off the children, which it's usually about 200 kidnapped children per year. Jesus. Um, she would personally bring them to the, these rich folks and um, like get the money, make the checks out to her. So she was making money, a.k.a. So child trafficking. Did the people getting the children know that they were kidnapped children? That is a very good question. Because I feel like, I um, mean, I guess I don't know what the procedure for missing children was back then. I'm sure it's not as strenuous as it is now. Yeah. But, like, you would think you would see. I assume and, like, that some of them did know. Is there an age because, range? Because kids start remembering things at, like, age four. And they're going to remember, you know, being kidnapped. It usually is infants. Infants, okay. Infants. Um, also, and are people they were leaving their infants adoptions? Or it wasn't called a closed adoption then, but she would purposely just get rid of all evidence. So, like, these grown-ups, the only way that they found out would be through biological testing. Um, let's see, Joan Crawford's twins actually went through this. The Georgia Tan initiated. Joan Crawford. She's um, that celebrity, isn't she? An actress. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but her twins actually went through this. So it she did it all they the way kidnapped? to 1920s. Yep. Yep. And some major wrestler, like, hmm, I looked him up because I didn't hear about him. But some major wrestler who was adopted was adopted through this Georgia Tan thing. Because she, she so had, did went Joan through Crawford these adoptions through 1920s. Back? Oh, Joan Crawford. <laughs> got the kidnapped child she was rich she got the kidnapped child oh yep i thought you were saying like her kids like she had twins and they were kidnapped by georgia tam yeah then i think people would have probably cared um but there was one person children who... from georgia tam yep yep whoa because that's kind of how adoption worked at that point it was kind of like a child trafficking thing. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I definitely think uh, abortion and child trafficking kind of, or not abortion, adoption and child trafficking are, there's like a thin line between what is adoption and what is child trafficking. See, okay. So then let's go into how much residents paid. So California residents usually paid about 731 for adoption. In the 1800s? 
or in that <laughs> this is Joan Crawford was not born in India. <laughs> yeah, this we're getting into the 20th century now. Okay, I want to look at the hundreds. I want to look at the conversion rate. When I have them. Think, oh, I have do you? Yeah. Do you? Okay, cool. I was going to say, what's the, what's the actual, like, how much was it? So nowadays? California is about 731. New York residents about 700 and 66. So that's roughly about $11,000 per baby in today's world. So that is how much Georgia Tan was getting per child. Yep. She was a part of this government sanctioned thing, but she had the checks made out to her. her. And that's why she went personally to deliver, deliver (laughs) to drop off the babies. (laughs) Um, But actually also really rich families, she got $10,000 out of them which is roughly $140,000 Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's kind of dark. Um, she also apparently was part of, like, molestation, but I kind of stopped reading wanting to part. read at that point because it just made me really sad. Like I said, I would like the history of adoption to be cave women, but unfortunately adoption as, for today began with Georgia Tan and her kidnapping poor kids. And um, there were people who fought against her in legal courts um, that her dad ran. So, of course, he sided with his daughter. Yeah, not biased at all. You know, no, not, as not one judges bit. were. Um, there were a couple that did it outside of her dad's court. And she, this girl, Georgia Tan, um, okay, so there's one instance that I can remember hearing about. She, a mom reached out to social services for temporary care while she underwent cancer treatment until her um, relatives could come and take care of her kids. So cancer treatment's done she wants her kids back she can't get them back because they're part of it she won't even tell georgia tam won't even tell her where her kids are at it's a close not not necessarily a closed adoption but this is where closed adoption came from. from um and she won't tell them she actually went and talked to georgia tan and she was like well this rich family can provide way better than you so you're not going to get your kids back which is a little, not, not great. And I you, mean, okay, so it's kind of not, not that I'm condoning this. Mm-hmm. I'm not condoning this in the slightest. And right. I'm not saying that I agree with her. Yep. However, theoretically, kids, well, statistically, kids from poor families tend to have more like abuse mm-hmm. and trauma related things. I can see it being a little bit the trauma maybe, but I can see it being a little bit the same because rich folks, um, they, I feel like I see rich sexual people abuse. are more like sexually abusive and like emotionally abusive yeah. versus like physically abusive. So like, I can kind of see where she would think, um, right. oh, they're going to a richer family, so they're going to be better off. All the good intentions, I can see that. I can see but exactly how why she, she did thought it. 
she was doing right. I yes. can see that. That's exactly, but like the way she did it is super, super wrong. Yep, 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 yeah. absolutely. And like, who is she to decide who is worthy of having their kids or not? Yeah. And in the end, she did, she really shaped adoption to be what it is today. So um, prior to Georgia Tan making adoption, she actually kind of made it trendy again uh, in richer folk which is crappy to say but she i mean you do see a lot of richer people being like oh i'm adopting um which i think is fantastic but i think a lot of people especially like celebrities adopt kids from either third world countries Mm -hmm. and they think it's better than yeah and adopting in states yeah i think that happened do it a lot for the publicity yeah not because status yeah not because they care 100 percent. like i'm sure they do yeah or at least some of them do but you hear stories you don't hear them a lot but you do hear stories about people who adopt kids from other countries and are like oh no i don't actually want them and return them i don't know if we talked about it but my mom experienced that with one of her good friends where they adopted a kid from China and that the friend said that um, my mom adopted me and my brother for selfish reasons and she was going and adopting for good reasons and that's yeah I don't see that at all I mean um, we needed a family we needed good people and we were in state and you went and spent millions love. of dollars to take a child from their culture mm-hmm. and which i mean definitely that girl that chinese girl needed to be adopted too um and hopefully they are getting that chinese culture that yeah getting they were exposed to the culture that they would have been grown up growing up in and but part of their heritage i don't think that they're choices for adoption were any better than my parents choices for adoption i would love to talk to your biological mom and just like ask her about her side of it all you know what i mean like i'm just so curious yeah no i'm curious too about certain things because i learned things and we can go over that in the next episode i definitely learned things when i was over 18 years Mm -hmm. old that i was like oh okay you shielded me from that for sure. Yeah. Like the sad parts, I think yeah. they definitely shielded yeah. me from. Um, so anyways, uh, so Georgia Tan really made it trendy because before Georgia letting adoption was seen as letting lower class people into your home, which really was a whole thing with eugenics. So like what is eugenics? That was was um the worst case scenario is what comes into my mind hitler's thing where he wanted oh like all people to be white um blonde hair blue eyes eyes. but with the eugenics it was more they and i kind of think that kind of goes hand in hand with the randall island and sending infants there to die um they wanted to stop the sexually deviant women because obviously the infants of like orphans are going to grow up and be like their mother 
who had sex unmarried. Okay, I was going to say, <laughs> what is considered sexually deviant? Because, like, are we talking, like, sex out of wedlock or child out of wedlock or, like, sex worker deviant? Which, like, nowadays isn't real sexual deviance. But you know what I mean. Yeah, and I'm sure back then it was also that, that too. Yeah. But, I mean, if you had sex out of wedlock and had a baby and then, you know you're poor, you died because the 1900s was when there was like world war one and everything. So mm -hmm. if you were homeless, it was a life or death yeah. kind of th thing. So if you died, your baby's an orphan out of, because of being poor mm -hmm. basically. And the eugenics came into play and people were like, no, we don't want this in our life. Darwinism. Okay. Um, I am a firm believer in Darwinism. However, I don't see that as Darwinism um, because it's not the child's choice, which I... So you're a fan of survival of the fittest. I definitely believe it is a... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. However, I We should I go over the actual wording someday because he was sexist as he was Heck. he was i i don't believe that it applies to children <laughs> because children are not old enough to know better See, i think darwinism survival of the fittest applies to adults because yeah. if you're stupid what chris likes to say you play stupid games you win stupid prizes yeah i can see that um but then I do think they should have equal chance to learn to be smart. <laughs> That's what you do when you're a child. Yeah. You learn to be smart. When you're yeah. an adult, you play stupid games, you win stupid yeah. prizes. He, I just, I don't care for Darwinism because he literally was like, women's brains are smaller, so they're not going to live longer. And that's 100% mm. wrong. Well, because I was going to say, women have a longer lifespan. We're also yeah. statistically smarter than men. Yep. So he just so didn't understand. He's like, just a I can see a hole. I can see his thing about evolution completely right. Good job, you man and a woman probably had that idea before you, but good job yeah, for proving it with some words. And you were like, "Did you guys hear that? <laughs> I discovered this." Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I do believe in survival of the fittest. Like I said, I do not believe that it applies to children because children are learning how to yeah. take care of themselves. Exactly. We have a responsibility to, uh, I believe that we have a responsibility to teach them how to live in a world and do this survival of the fittest crap. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's when I say I am a fan of survival of the fittest i don't mean children yeah so <laughs> um but yeah that's kind of my so she uh, georgia tan put her foot in all 48 states for her little we're gonna call it child trafficking because i don't think this is adoption. So hawaii and alaska not states at that's time. what i was wondering um and I don't know. You're the one who came from Alaska. All right. Well, just because I came from Alaska doesn't mean I actually know anything about the state. Hold on. <laughs> let me look and see when Alaska became a state. I think your mom would know. and She'd be very disappointed. Probably. <laughs> for not knowing Alaska history. 
where you came from. October 18th, 1867. All right. So, so yeah, but I mean, it makes sense that they maybe were, she didn't have it in Alaska because or Hawaii um, planes weren't a thing. <laughs> I mean, she was probably, hopefully she was at the end of her, her child trafficking career when they, when planes became more commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Georgia Chan's whole thing, she felt like she was taking kids away from trash. So, like trash, hash as in white trash. From, but also, I am trash, so <laughs> please don't touch my children. <laughs> exactly, and there had to be, oh my god, I just cannot And then, okay, so wait, back that. to the eugenics thing, though. <laughs> so, did they think taking poor kids into rich households would make them rich people or did they were they like so georgia chan didn't believe in the eugenics she um changed people's minds away from the eugenics so originally they were like poor turned people away from adoption and things like that okay. right they okay. didn't believe in adoption because of eugenics okay and georgia tan at least the contribution she made to society is that she made people stop believing that these children should be left to die. Okay. The way she went about it wasn't that great. Mm -hmm. She could have, there was definitely plenty of orphans that she could have tried to do. And she definitely did focus on infants, which I think is a problem. Yeah. Because they, I mean, nowadays you see that nowadays in regular adoption, like legal adoption too, though, is people more often than not want an infant. Yes. And I think that this sounds really messed up. Because of her, because she actually promoted it as a blank slate. Yes, exactly. I was just going to say that. Um, I think it's kind of messed up, but people look at children like property, which... I mean, taxes, so they are. I mean, yeah. <laughs> our country makes, makes children look like property. But, like, think about it as, like, a puppy, you want to get a puppy more than you want to get like a middle-aged dog from the shelter, not necessarily yeah. an older dog, um, because then you can train it how you want. Yeah. People look at kids the same way. Yeah. And yes, in a sense, mm -hmm. but they're also their own person. They're born with their own personality. Their brains function differently. You're not going to be able to control them yeah. in that way. Um, and I mean, dogs are the same way, you know what I mean? Like they have their own personalities and whatever, but this is, <sighs> I don't really know how to like put it into words. Um, but like you see it nowadays where people still have that ideology of like, I want an infant so that I can raise them how I want. I don't right. want to have to deal with, you know, all this stuff that comes with right. them getting older, but if you think about it, they're going to deal with that stuff anyways, when and they get older, it's just going to come in a different form because you raised them differently. So what about the kids that have already been through hell and back or have already lost so much? Right. Well, and it's kind of interesting too, that you bring that up. Um, because with the experiment that we'll talk about next episode, the, unethical experiment that happened with the triplets where they were separated at birth mm -hmm. there this dr peter Naubar's um newbar i don't know how Neubauer. it's pronounced um his experiment was that it didn't matter 
where you were born, you were still going to act the same. And it's a little bit Nature true. versus nurture. It was a bit true for these triplets. They still had the depression. They still had, I mean, it didn't matter that they were separated. It didn't matter how they grew up. It didn't matter that they all had They were still households. going to act the same way. And I mean, I almost wonder if that's true for... Um, kids obviously trauma is going to be a factor that's going to shape how you do things but like if you think about it okay as someone who came from a semi-traumatic background um i think had i been raised by my mom instead of my dad i probably would have turned out just about the same Mm -hmm. um regardless of the environment i grew up in yeah exactly and I, I think and about like Ellie, who has such a huge, strong personality. I think she would grow up the same way she is now, except I think she would be less happy. You know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like if she came from a, a harsher background mm-hmm. than she does. Because she's a very happy child. She's very, she's very outspoken. She's very opinionated. She's very smart. Right. She's friendly. But I think had she come from a harsher traumatic background whatever um maybe she wouldn't be as outgoing but she would still have this big spark that she has yep yeah I was actually reading that personality isn't really impacted too much by um your surroundings or how you're raised so like it's It's kind of a good thing for parents to know you can't control your child's personality. So we don't really have as much of a impact on their personality as we would like to think. Yeah. It kind of gives parents grace a little bit in how they're raising their kid. Um, Like they're going to behavior is learned. Personality is not. Yeah. But yeah. So um, I, that's the end of the adoption notes that I took because it's this Georgia tan lady just kind of started getting more and more um, screwed up. If you want, if you guys want to read the book, it's the baby thief book. I don't know who it's by, but it's kind of, it goes through Georgia tan's history more in detail than what I provided. I just kind of took the little points that I was kind of like, oh my goodness, this is kind of screwed up. Um, And I think the major takeaway about the adoption aspect is it's not always the easiest option. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I, I do think adoption is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have any background in it or anything. Not that I have any background in abortion either, but, um, it's a choice. It's a hard choice. Yeah. I don't think one is easier than the other because no matter what you have, the emotional repercussions, you have the physical repercussions, you have, you know, absolutely. Everything is affected within you. But, um, I think this is a good kind of segue into abortion. Um, it is a really hot topic right now. Um, especially it should with, be more of a hot topic. It should be more of a hot topic, especially with all of the um, things coming out of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Yep. But I did kind of want to talk about, um, you know, some of the original ado- or abortion 
thing is just because it's so it's such an interesting topic to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of the methods employed in early cultures were non-surgical. So they weren't doing, you know, DNCs or anything Hmm. like that. Um, It was physical activities like strenuous labor, climbing, paddling, weightlifting or diving. Um, And then others were induced use of irritant leaves, fasting, bloodletting, pouring hot water onto the abdomen, which sounds awful. Yeah. I'm just imagining. I mean, all of it sounds awful. The rock climbing while pregnant. Yeah, that that sounds really, really awful. Um, and like fasting, no thanks. Um, and then laying on heated coconut shell, which I'm not sure if it's like a, like, you know how you're not supposed to go into a hot tub when you're pregnant? Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if it's the same thing or if there's something about heating the coconut shell. Well, there's so much that I'm kind of like, wow, I didn't really realize that would terminate a pregnancy it's kind of Um, scary (laughs) yeah um but in virtually all cultures abortion techniques developed through observation adaption of obstetrical i don't obstetricians thank thank you uh methods and transculturation um physical means of inducing labor including battery exercise and tightening the girdle were still often used in the modern early modern period and among english women so i imagine that's like colonial Mm -hmm. that's what i was thinking um and then archaeology discoveries indicate early surgical attempts at extraction of a fetus however such methods were not believed to have been common given the infrequency in which they are mentioned in in met, ancient medical texts. Yeah, I would believe it. I don't think that um, surgery was, I think surgery was more of a means to end life than to um, keep a mother alive. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like a last ditch attempt. Mm-hmm. Um interesting it's probably more for science i bet it was more well, religious and, I purposes. Mean, how, how do we develop our medical practices now you know we have yeah. to go through all this in our past the first c-section was created in not so great conditions but through slavery so i was gonna say kind of interesting. Um, if i remember correctly that's what the chainsaw was originally created for oh really yeah huh but that it was um, the C-section. The first C-section was performed by African American women in a slavery setting to keep the woman alive. I did not know that. That is, that's really cool. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I'm just trying to like get through all of this because this all just talks about different cultures. Um, this topic I know will come up more than once too in our um podcast because i mean we're both it it needs to come up in everyday conversations it's just that for it to get overturned the overturnal the overturn to get overturned it just needs to be brought up yeah i think it needs to be i mean because i think there's also like the people who are pro-life and not crazies um i think they just don't understand that it's abortion and abortion doctors will tell you it's 
it's kind of a simple procedure where you just get a pill and they check back in with you after the period cramps are done. I mean, um, when it's about, when a baby is a lump of cells, it's not, when a fetus is a lump of cells, it's not, it's not murder like people think so it is. Here is my, um, my thought process on it is if it could not survive outside my body, it shouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, after like 24 weeks, yeah, a, a baby can survive outside its mother's body. Yep. And they have like brain cells and things like that. They're they don't understand there. things like they're still, you know, learning. Yeah. But dots even are yeah they're still but, doing all the things that they would be doing in utero you know up to that 39 week development but like i think that and the majority okay so if you look at the statistics i think it's like less than one percent of abortions happen after 21 weeks yes and that's in life-saving conditions yes exactly in situations where the mother's life yeah so you can't call yourself pro-life if you're not saving the mother's life as well yep you yes. can't that's that's that yeah um you're just anti-abortion at yeah. that point you're not pro-life yes. you're anti-abortion and the thing with um, if you, for whatever reason, think that the baby's life is more important than the mother's, let's think about who's raising. I was gonna say the kid. I think at that point you need, if you're going who's to raising, voice that opinion, you need to be prepared to take care of that child once that child is born. If the mother has other children, who's raising those children? Yeah. Um, I just, you're not, you're, you can't call yourself pro-life. That's that's not so many. There's so many pro-lifers out there that absolutely cannot say that they care about the life of a baby and the life of a mother equally because they don't. Well, and I think that in order to call yourself pro-life, you have to also, you know, care about the children that are already alive mm -hmm. or absolutely. the children after they're brought into this world. I, um, I was just looking at the state laws for South Dakota. Um, They're and, not good. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so this is from Planned Parenthood, which I get texts from them like every week with just kind of updates on everything. Mm -hmm. um, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, which means the state that states can now ban abortion. Some states have banned abortion or created a lot of restrictions, but abortion is still legal in many states. Um, so South Dakota has a trigger law, mm -hmm. had a trigger law in place. So if Roe v. Wade got overturned, then automatically abortions were illegal Yep. So in the state. They had to literally, like, if you, um, there's so many other podcasts and news reports of the actual moment that they realized that they couldn't have abortions anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, everything was just put on standstill for even states without the trigger ban. Everything was put on a standstill because I mean, doctors shouldn't have to be um, tried by the law for giving women reproductive health rights. Right. I'm trying to find um, 
the law, like the actual, so I can read it. Um, so I'm looking at South Dakota legislator, legislature. Um, well, the reason that Roe v. Wade was overturned was because they think that it went against the amendments, was it? The Bill of Rights? I don't know what it was, but that's just simply not true. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, if you've ever looked at, and I am, this has all been all over my TikTok that we are in the seventh stage of a 10-step program to genocide. What does that mean? So there's 10 steps to genocide. Okay. Um, we're on step seven. Like the United States is on step seven. Okay. Um, and I mean, obviously, if you look at like the UN Crimes Against Humanity page, yep. um, forced pregnancy, is like it, forced to carry a pregnancy right. is, a vile, is, a, is a crime against humanity. Um, Glad they understand. And I know I've heard a lot about people, um, like I've heard, a, I can't find anything that I actually can understand right now about the law that's like clear, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, there's just a lot of fancy law language. Um, but I know a lot of other countries have been sending in messages to like the United Nations mm -hmm. about things that are going on in the U.S., um, let me, I'm going to look up this real quick. Tens. Well, I was thinking that we would actually just add it as a side note, like just stop the recording and then we could add and be like, side note, 10 genocide things. Yeah, we can do that. Um, so after all those tangents of a really, really depressing episode, <laughs> I recommend that if this is one of your first episodes um, that you listen to, that you go back and talk about, or go back and listen to the Ray of Sunshine episode. The level of um, sound quality is not that great. We are a beginning podcast, um, so we're kind of just testing out what works and what doesn't work in terms of terms of sound quality. It was also our first remote podcast that we did, um, but we are uh, pro adoption there is so much talk about out there about the negative consequences of adoption etc i can tell you from firsthand experience that not all adoption or fostering experiences are bad um yes it's hard it's a hard decision it might not be for everybody however if you do the classes if you really are just good in heart like I'm sure a lot of people are you can really make a difference in somebody's life and so we we really are pro-adoption I'm sure like even Joan Crawford I'm not sure she really understood what kind of went down with her twins well, and if and she did then I was thinking about that after you brought that up and I had asked did the people getting the children even know you yeah. know I'm I'm wondering I'm sure Even that more. so many people didn't. Though. Yeah. Um, like in a lot of the people who seek adoption, they go through infertility um, and things like that. Their hearts are good. They just want a child. 
So anyways, that's kind of where we'll drop off here. And we do hope that everybody has an excellent week and hope you turn in for the next episode. Um, take a listen for all of our social media and reach out if you have any questions about adoption. I'll go ahead and cover it next episode. Sounds Thanks. good. Thank you. Bye. All right, so side note for anybody who is curious, in Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decided that the right to privacy implied in the 14th Amendment protected abortion as a fundamental right. However, the government still retained the power to regulate or restrict abortion across depending on the stage of pregnancy. Many, there's very rare cases where anybody is in need of an abortion or chooses to have an abortion by the third trimester. Um, I looked it up here and many laws or many states including Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Alabama, Arkansas, Idaho, Louisiana, they all have um banned abortion laws so there's a total ban in abortion um what that means is abortion is completely banned based on the new law or the overturning of roe v wade in 2022 um for a lot of these states it is still legal to travel out of the state to get an abortion um but there's very large wait lists for states like that whether it's like minnesota or colorado um, and a lot of states don't even have a, an exception to save the pregnant person's life, such as South Dakota, Tennessee, um, let's see, <laughs> Arkansas, there's even, it looks like in Texas, Um, Private citizens can sue abortion providers and those who assist patients seeking an abortion after about six weeks of pregnancy, and that's the same with Oklahoma. Um, In Idaho, there was, at the very least, a federal judge that ruled that doctors can't be punished for performing an abortion to protect a patient's health. So there's a little bit of pro-life in this um, anti-abortion world here but that is so many states where um, people who don't have access to cars or what have you don't have the ability for a safe abortion they don't have the ability for women's health care and they are taking it out on Planned Parenthood, which a lot of the times it just is providing you women's protect- reproductive health um, services like condoms, birth control. Oh, my gosh. Just if you haven't started researching about Roe v. Wade, do it. <laughs>